0: Hey up, Shay, Shandy Andy here Just wanted to send you a message about our OSC Dolman Wood Friday night session Absolutely loved it It was absolutely brilliant um, It reminded me so much of the 14 year old uh, Guy I was back in 1981 when I first discovered BX Things he won't share with us The darkness in his brain The Dungeon Master's plan the Pleasure and the pain, what's better left unknown? Keep calling out to me.
1: I hear him think out loud. To die the Only the brave chap
0: comes open to page one.
2: My name is Che Webster, and this is the Roleplay Play Rescue. Dungeon Master's Diary.
1: Hey, Jay, Jason here, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. So, just listen to your latest DM's Journal. I think it was DM's Journal, w- whatever you just released. Pretty sure it's DM's Journal. And, um, yeah, about midway through, I thought you were talking about throwing the talent on Dungeons of Thrall. And I realized you recorded that before our game happened. But as, you, as I think you've seen, most of us are fine doing theater of the mind. We don't care if they're maps or not. And, um, but I mean, you have to decide if you're enjoying running it, then we'll enjoy playing it. Don't worry that we're there for the right reasons. And, and, and wow, I'm just telling you what to do. That's kind of crappy of me. I'm sorry, sir. That, that's not, I'm coming across bad on this. It's early in the morning, but, but seriously, if the players are showing up and, and say they're enjoying themselves. I don't know that you have to worry about their motivations. If you're having fun too, then, you know, game on.
2: Thanks to Jason from Nerds RPG Cast calling in. Jason, no, I'm not ditching. Lull. I'm not done with it yet. Oh, no. One of the three core projects that I have currently going. Um, and actually, I'd, I'd really like... I'm hoping Bob Pianka's listening to this because I'd really like to sort of team up with you guys on... Yeah, also running the Mega Dungeon, um, but also in kind of writing up, and this will probably end up on the Roleplay Rescue blog, uh, writing up how to run GURPS games in a really light, easy fashion. Because I think the the, the encyclopedic nature of GURPS is such that it's actually quite daunting for people, but it's a brilliant game. And I think Thal is a perfect vehicle for sort of introducing people to what I think is the sweet spot with GURPS, which is low power, low points value games and kind of simple games to start with. And once you've learned the combat game, I think the Mega Dungeon is the obvious next step. So what I'd like to do over the coming months is actually develop Thal, play in Thal, but also evolve the kind of stripped down, intro GURPS for Thal because I think that that would be awesome so let me know what you think about that idea I hope that encourages you Jason and yeah you guys keep telling me if you're enjoying it and um, I kind of need to know what you're enjoying most I suppose but hey that's a whole other conversation thanks for calling in Jason game on
0: hey up Shay Shandy Andy here just wanted to send you a message about our OSC Dolman Wood Friday night session Absolutely loved it. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, It reminded me so much of the 14-year-old guy I was back in 1981 when I first discovered BX. Um, There was enough there, new stuff in Dolman Wood, that I was like a a kid in a candy shop, uh, just trying to pick those different character races out. Uh, Love the night in the end. Uh, When I'd read through it initially, I wasn't that uh, taken, but... um, I really got into that and I love that as a character now, so Crumper is definitely going to be a favourite of mine. i just got to keep him alive, Uh, even with his three stats under nine. (laughs) That's going to be challenging. The one thing I really wanted to say, I, I, I think was a magnificent idea, I mean really terrific, was the way we were generating the stats. I mean... I've been role-playing for almost 40 years, and I've never come across that method um, before. And I don't know whether you've made it up or you picked it up from, but where it's just brilliant. And I think you need to put it out there because I think it made character generation much, much more interesting because I'm not a big, you know, uh, I'm quite happy playing pre-gen. Character generation, for me, is not a big part of the game. But it was um, on Friday night... Um, And I I mention it to Gavin because I think it would be a brilliant optional way for people to roll up characters because it does make it into, I don't know, mini games, not quite right. But you know what I mean? There was that definitely a thought process that had to go on about assigning the stats.
2: A lovely call in there from Shani Andy. Thanks, mate. It's great to hear from you. And thanks so much for your encouraging words. It really does matter to me that players tell me that they've had a good time. And it uh, kind of enthuses me. i had a good time. You're going to hear that later in the episode. But um, I really appreciate the calling, man. That's great. And as regards the way I rolled up characters and I as I better describe that. So this is regarding ability scores. And um, all that we did is I insisted, because OSE just says you roll up 3d6 for each stat in, um, you know, enlists them. But it doesn't say you have to do them in strict order. Um, And, of course, traditionally what a lot of people do is I either roll them in order, which I don't think many people do, although I know Shandy Andy has been doing that recently with Holmes game, Um, or they tend to just roll them up, roll the six numbers, and then allow the player to assign them in whatever order, which is kind of the way Ian, um, my other player, uh, on Friday uh, where he prefers to do things but actually what I went for is something I consider to be a middle ground so here's goes. Here's what you do you roll 3d6 and then you decide which stat that number goes into and then you roll the next 3d6 and you assign that to a stat and so on you do not roll a 3d6 until you have assigned the number and this simple little change um, really allows players to Engage with the, the stat making process. Um, I think it kind of helps to combat the kind of min max thing, where you you kind of just look at the numbers with the worst one in your dump stat and go, and actually forces you to engage with uh, a little bit of excitement. So what actually happened? I think with Andes, for example, with his Dowser character, he rolled a thirteen. And I know that he put that into his prime attribute because he was figuring the odds of getting higher than 15 weren't great. And then later, of course, uh, he was rolling. And I think he might have got a a higher than 13, but he'd already assigned that to his prime attribute. So he had to put it somewhere else. And this led to some really interesting stat values. Um, And yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It also meant we were all kind of engaging one at a time with rolling at the table. So... Uh, Andy rolled his first character. Then and Ian rolled his two, and then Andy rolled his second character. And we were all engaged with that process. It wasn't kind of like someone sitting there just quietly rolling their dice. And you know, it was actually each of us watching each other's rolling and, and, and engaging with that. And there was a discussion. And it took a teeny bit longer, but it was a very, very engaging part of the game. Where does it come from? I think it might come from my Traveller days, and I don't know whether it's part of classic Traveller. But it certainly comes from when we used to play Classic Traveller. That's how my referee, Daniel, back in 1980, or whenever it was when we started playing, he did character gen. We would roll the 2D6 and we would assign it to a stat and then roll the next one and so on and so on. So there you go. That's how it works. I don't know if that's of interest to anyone, let alone Gavin. But hey, here it is, on the air. Thanks, Andy. Game on.
3: Hi Shay, this is Menion from uh, Confessions of a We Timorous Beastie. I'm referring to episode 24 of the Dungeon Master's Diaries. So, player versus GM rules, or GM versus player rules. This seems to be a bit of a false dichotomy. After all, what's good for the goose may well be good for the gander. As you know, the simple rules of OSE, or other so-called rules like games, are merely a framework from which we can extrapolate rulings, and there's no reason why we can't share the onus of rulings with players to ensure impartiality where necessary remember the rulings can change case by case the simplicity of the rules like game can be can be a benefit to anyone in the game not just the gm and not least because it democratizes the game by laying bare the fact that it's down to us to provide uh, provide the color anyway i've started to feel that rules Um, Art and character abilities in certain games, the new games particularly, can hide the original point of the RPGs, which is to make choices. In a game where characters are individualized by abilities and skill roles, the players are no longer in charge, rather the character is, that is to say, more agency is given to the PCs than the players. Look at D&D 3.0 onward, many things happen automatically, roll dice and learn A, B and C, without the PC necessarily even having to engage with the imaginary world. This can become a complex version of snakes and ladders where the movement of the piece on the board or in 5e the gaining of information or an advantage is activated by the roll of a die. Where randomness is important, often life or death situations, the rules should um, be robust enough to provide a firm basis from which to make a ruling. But there should also be room to influence the odds by player creativity without having to document every possible eventuality. The player engagement... Uh, such as this is the lifeblood of the old school games and is not written into the rules rather it emerges from play in real time this is the holy grail I'm currently searching for anyway I'm not quite sure if that's how pertinent that is or how much you um, see that as fitting your uh, player versus GM GM versus player rules but I think that sort of explains where OSE and other such games are coming from and what they're aiming at Um, so just to recap yeah Um, there's no reason why uh, a simple game cannot benefit everyone, players included. Cheers, man. Bye-bye.
2: So a lovely call in there from many Thanks, dude. It's great to hear from you. And you'd be tempted to think that we disagree about something, but we don't because, and I have to admit, I had to listen to it a couple of times, but actually listening through that, I think there are a couple of things that I would say. So first of all, I would clarify that where I'm coming from with sort of player and GM having access to the rules is a very simple sort of principle, which is I don't think a player should ever come to the table required to know how to play the game. And that really just comes from my experience with introducing new players, especially young players, to the hobby. I feel like giving someone a rule book and saying, All right, go and read that. And then we'll be like, we'll, you know, we'll get together and we'll play. That's actually quite intimidating and not helpful because I think most of the time rule books aren't written with like how to play guide at all. I think it's not at all clear how this game is played when you read a rule book. The last time I think I saw a rule book that actually included that was of course OSE, which is a clone of BX. And I think the last time I actually saw one other than OSE published and really thought this is done well was Beck Me. You know, we're talking nineteen eighty three, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, what Gavin Norman has done with OSE is just to really really clarify that even further and I think it's a brilliant study in how to introduce fantasy role playing fantasy adventure gaming to people. So what I'm saying what I'm saying is the GM should know the rules and the GM should use the rules at the table. The players shouldn't be required to know the rules. But that doesn't stop the players knowing the rules and I don't have a problem with the players reading the rules. I just think they shouldn't have to if that makes sense. So that's the first thing. The second thing, though, is I tend to agree with you that there's often this thing, people experience this thing where the more rules there are in a game, the accusation is made that players spend more time looking at the character sheet and they subconsciously limit themselves to only do what's on the character sheet. Now, personally, I don't tend to experience this. So I, as a player, um, don't tend to just look at the sheet and think well that's the only things I can do but I know that many do and um, I guess it was a bit of a revelation to me this because I've heard it said over and over again but it never occurred to me that this was a real thing um, you know for players but it does appear to be at least something people believe is true now of course just because you're playing a game with more rules I don't know like fifth edition or pathfinder or uh, I don't know, GURPS is one of my favourites. doesn't mean to say you're limited by what's on the sheet, and in fact, a lot of games go out of their way to actually make clear that, you know, if you don't have an ability or skill or whatever, sometimes there's an opportunity for you to have a go anyway. But of course, what Minion is trying to get across, I believe, if I'm understanding you correctly, is that the less there is on the sheet, the minimal, if you like, there is on the sheet, the more the players are forced to be creative within the situation. And I certainly experienced that this week playing OSE, and I think I get where that's coming from. Now, I've never really understood this um, this kind of reality, if you like, in play until very recently. I've never really seen it in action until really last Friday night, <laughs> to be honest with you. But it is something that, again, people believe to be true and is a really important thing. And I guess what you're trying to say and what I would agree with you on is that if you have a simple rule set... And everybody knows that rule set. Everybody knows the kind of what the rules allow and what the rules kind of suggest, if you like. And then beyond that, it's up to you. And I guess the less rules there are, the more space there is for improvising, like improvisation for rulings. And that might be a richer game. And I might happen to agree with you. Thanks for the call in, man. I hope I made some kind of sense of that. Maybe completely misunderstood i don't know wow there's one hell of a storm raging outside i um i've just been thinking a little bit about thal and i think earlier in the week i think on friday i uh kind of bailed on trying to build the map of thal in digital form because it was just an overwhelming task it seemed to be and um and yet last night we did use the maps that I had already created and the part of the map that I already created for the, the second zone of Thal, and it was kind of wonderful. And I realised that I do enjoy that approach to gaming. And there was just this one comment that is almost throwaway. Bob Pianca, um just said something. As the huge map uh, file loaded and everybody kind of waited for their computers to catch up, because that tends to happen when you doesn't matter if it's on Roll20 or, or Fantasy Grounds. When I'm told a big file is going to take a while to download, and it's kind of a pause in learning gaming, which is kind of disruptive. And Bob, almost as an aside, just said, you know what, I, uh this is why I always do my maps in little bits. And um, I don't know why that didn't occur to me. But, of course, I, I fall prone to what is often called the either-or fallacy quite a lot. Um... <laughs> a huge mistake in logical thinking you know i either have to have the entire map in one file and done at once or i'm not having the map at all um that is such a fallacious way of thinking and of course bob just saved me from that emotional i think it's what it happens is that emotions cloud you in your thinking and you kind of think oh i can't face doing this i feel so stressed by it or i feel so you know kind of wound up by i'll uh, oh, just throw it out stop doing it you know can't be bothered And actually, uh, Bob just reminded me that um, there are other ways of approaching things, you know, and it's kind of like that whole, you know, you're going to eat a horse, you don't do it in one go. Um, I'm not even sure if that is really an analogy or even an aphorism, but um, it just popped in my head. Essentially, you know, I need to cut that up into little pieces and build the little pieces. And um, I think I can do that, you know. I think I can take the first part that I've already got. And I mean, what I think I'll do is just, you know, chop that bit that i've already built out of the dungeon and put it into a separate file and um and then sort of add other bits and i think it's not a problem to move from map to map to map in fantasy grounds you know especially if they're smaller it'll probably load quick and it'll be fine so I just want to say thanks to bob for that little thought and this is a note to self because otherwise i'm going to forget it and um yeah there you go something else i learned about gaming this week awesome One of the things I've started to do um, in the last sort of week, probably, or less than a week, but hmm, almost, um, is I've started to daily uh, sit down for a few minutes and, in a notebook, sketch out kind of an outline or the basic ideas around a project that has been sort of on my mind um, or is in my mind. Kind of pour those out. I think capturing the initial thoughts and ideas is great for unloading my mind and getting it on the paper. And, of course, it's easy for me to then go back to those projects, which is great. But what was pertinent this morning was the thing that had really sort of poured into my mind was this idea of comparing the D and D editions. I'm talking about Dungeons & Dragons, of course. What I wrote was I'm actually curious to explore the genesis of Dungeons & Dragons, really, from um, original Dungeons & Dragons, 1974, through to uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, second edition, more than anything. I think that kind of is a is a complete set of works. And and I kind of generally what... You know, what got added, what got changed... I mean, actually changed, and, and what got removed as well. You know, I know a couple of things. I know that 2E sort of removed the Assassin and the Demons and Devils, but I don't know much else. Um I didn't really play 2 e edition very much, I, I, more than a few games as a player as well, not as a GM. So I, I don't know about that. And also... I was also musing about my emotional reaction to those editions as well. I kind of like to go through them in a sort of fairly methodical way and make this comparison would be interesting to sort of note my emotional reaction because the other thing I realised is I never really... Well, I don't think I ever really had a deeper love of Dungeons & Dragons, if you know what I mean. I, I don't... When I think about it, you know, I kind of wrote down here like, why did we move away from D and D, and were we ever really fans? Because I start to list out the first games I actually played, and certainly the first ones I GM'd. Um, so back in the day, I played RuneQuest and Traveller, and Rollmaster. They were the big three. We also played Star Frontiers, and I moved on to Palladium. I think Call of Cthulhu got in there, I know that by 89 I was fascinated with Twilight 2000 and with Final Fantasy, the Dungeoneer, Advanced Dungeon, uh, Advanced Final Fantasy, although I think, I, well I know I had the earlier version of that, but I became particularly fascinated by it around 89 when I went to uni. And then the only thing I really looked at while I was at uni was the World of Darkness, it was specifically Mage, I was never that bothered by Vampire, um, although it's okay, Um Mage was the thing that kind of rocked my world uh, which is probably a whole different thing to talk about at some point and I feel like I need to go and reread that sometime as well um, kind of rediscover what it was I, I have a basic idea of what it was but I think there's more than one thing and of course when I came back to the hobby we played um, Alternity um, and then we moved into Dungeons & Dragons 3rd edition so I, I really want to make that comparison sort of from 1 and um, from 3E what sort of changed again and I don't think I have third edition anymore, but I do have 3.5. Um, and other than the unified D20 mechanism, you know, what else? Uh, what changed? That's the kind of thing in my mind. And I think I need to go and do that experimentation and that um, exploration for myself. I don't know when I'll get around to it, but um, I made a note in my project book, and um, that means it's not going to get lost, you know. It's one of those things that I can find some time for and do. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to, to make note of it, I think, going kind to of say so. So there you go, random stuff from Webster's head. Going back to uh, school in the morning and I've just done something that I know is both really good thing and also was emotionally very, very hard thing to do. I've taken my Dungeons and Dragons beginner set and my Dungeons and Dragons essentials kit, and I put it alongside the Traveller starter set and the Star Trek Adventures starter set And I also found two very crushed copies of the, what was it, the Star Wars Rebellion uh, Fantasy Flight, you know, Rebellion Era starter set, and also the Star Wars Force of Destiny, or whatever it's called, um, starter set. Anyway, I put all of those into a bag, and I'm going to take them to school tomorrow. And when we come to game night on Tuesday night, I am going, if anyone comes, (laughs) I'm basically going to say that... um, Here's a load of games, guys. I'd really like to encourage you guys to like learn to play for yourselves, really. And um, it's going to be really hard letting go, and I feel very emotional about giving stuff away as well. But I think this is an important thing for me, and a, and a really valuable thing for the kids. And you know, it'll be good stuff. And I think what my goal is is over time going to slowly, it's going to take a long time to do this, go through all the stuff I have, and there's going to be basically three piles. There's stuff to give away. There's stuff to use, you know, projects I really want to do that go on a project list. And then there's um, stuff to sell that is done with, really, or which I don't really think I'm going to want to come back to. Um, and I imagine that uh, in the giveaway list will be stuff I can take to school club, so that's great. So yeah, I've done it. I'm going to make that first step and tomorrow I'll take it in and we'll see what happens. It's Friday morning. I'm back at work. I've been back four days. Um, finally getting my energy back as well. <laughs> Yesterday people were telling me that um, they didn't want to upset me on Tuesday. They were telling me how awful I still looked, but um, I look better today kind of thing. And it was, it was kind of sweet, actually. It's nice. Uh, but the kids have been awesome, you know, and being back in a classroom has been awesome. And I've really enjoyed every moment and uh, just reminded myself, really, of just why I love being a high school teacher, you know. And I've been focused in the classroom as well. I, uh, yeah, I come to realise that I, you know, that's where I want to be. And um, this is the the thing that. I love doing, but also it also pays the bills, you know, and it, it funds my hobby and all my other interests. So I don't ever really want to contemplate leaving the classroom. Um, certainly, uh, in recent weeks, I've and through this illness especially, I realised that I uh, I don't want to climb a ladder <laughs> into management, particularly. I've done that in the past in business, and uh, it was fun. But uh, there's nothing quite like <clears throat> excuse me, being a teacher. And um, that's how I feel today, anyway. But you didn't want to hear that. You want to kind of hear about how I'm doing hobby-wise. And um, tonight is, uh, in theory, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's the night we start playing um, Old School Essentials in Dominwood And um, I've read an awful lot of stuff um <clears throat> by no means have I read all of wormskin I think I'm about 4 issues through about halfway um and then of course I came back to work and um you know don't have the uh, time and luxury of time that I I'd had when I was sitting in bed um convalescing so I uh I have a uh, an odd situation that I'm sort of embracing um so you know how I am terrified about being underprepped, um, but I'm I'm underprepped. I'm, tonight we're going to get together and going to create some characters using Old School Essentials. Um, and we're going to be using the uh, new Donwood Player's Guide, which we're playtesting, and which, by the way, I can say nothing about. And we are going to um, begin play, and uh, I've decided where they're starting. They're um, going to be just south of Lankshorn and um and I've got a mission for them, which is uh sort of straightforward. And then it'll be I think really um a case of seeing what the players do because I'm gonna give them the goal um and then it's up to them to to sort of solve that. And um I've deliberately just dis- I mean I, I thought about the two most likely routes through the forest, if you like and uh, made sure that I have a, at least a rough idea of, of that kind of, um, you know, what's there, if you like. Um, but I'm just going to see what the players do, and I'm going to see how well I can just run with that, you know. <clears throat> I don't think um, I need more than the processes that are there. So the, the game structures of OSE are there. And this, I think I've said this before, that I think sort of, BX and Beckme D&D are the last time I've seen how to play um, actually explained in the game book, in the rule book. Um, and OSE has this. It's, it, it kind of has recovered it from BX. And um, you have the how to do a dungeon exploration, and you have the dungeon adventure bit, and you have that wilderness adventure bit, and these two game structures are there. And... Um, and so essentially, we have the dungeon crawl and the hex crawl. Um, and all I'm going to do um, is pick up on the seeds that are in Dominwood, because what Gavin has very cleverly done is laid plenty of hooks and seeds into the. Um, I think I prefer the word seed, <laughs> I think it fits Dominwood. But. Um, Seeds, uh, ideas, if you like, things you could pick up on. And um, what I'm going to do is turn some of those into uh, active clues. Um, Because I've set the goal, I I feel like there's things about the the goal and the location of the goal that actually need kind of seeding through the adventure, through the sessions, so the guys don't go blundering in. Um, not knowing what they're dealing with, you know, or at least having a sense of what they're dealing with. And I think um, that's a wonderful thing. So I'm taking some of the mystery structure as well. Um, But this is not primarily a mystery. It is primarily um, uh, a map exploration of the wood and will be occasionally that classical kind of exploration of the location, um, what some call a dungeon crawl. So... I'm really looking forward to doing that, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how I can improvise. Um, But am I terrified? Terrified's not quite the right word. Very nervous, though. Um, Learning to trust myself is going to be hard. But this is the goal of playing at least four sessions, um, of trying to commit myself to trying out these approaches to gaming, this game, as it's written, seeing what happens. Friday night, half eleven in the evening. What a delightful session that was. Had um, Andy and Ian around to play. Fortunately, Dave was ill. And, yeah, we took the decision of creating two characters per player. Um, I think Andy's created um, a couple of very, very interesting characters. Um, We have a dowser, a knight... And we have a friar and a fighter, which is really really cool. And having created characters this evening, which took probably a couple of hours, um, I know that sounds like a long while. And we're playing with what is essentially BX, but actually there are a number of like rather lovely things in the Domwood Players book that we were playtesting. Um, which add a lot of flavour and colour, which is great. And there was also some discussion to be had about how we were going to interpret certain in, you know, bits and pieces of the rules. So that was fun. Um, and what was really lovely was watching the players um, kind of evolve their characters, really, and discover their characters tonight. I really enjoyed that. On top of that, we then end to Um The guys, I just really, we played. Two hours or so, I think, wherein they approach the uh, village of Lankshorn and have sort of um, gone to the. They found rooms at the inn overnight and had food and picked up a few rumors and had a chat with the stable boys, that kind of thing, and then in the morning they've gone to find Father Doby of the church um, at Lankshorn and basically have been asked to go and recover some holy items and relics from the lost Abbey of St. Clude. And um, having kind of picked up the basis of what they're going to do, the guys are coming up with a plan. So it looks like in two weeks' time when we play, they're going to head east uh, along the Ditchway to Port Dreg. um, And from there, try and find... um, some kind of information and clue about where on earth the lost abbey is so it was all good really i really enjoyed it and um, i'm hoping those guys did too they seemed to have a good time what was interesting for me as gm was that i um yeah i i kind of kind of played it fast and loose so I, i actually rolled to see if there would be a random encounter on the road before we started and there was um and the guys encountered um a centaur uh, which turned into an interaction. The guys chose to have an interaction and um, picked up some rumours, which was kind of cool, and then headed north, um, up King Puskin's Road to Lankshorn, um, stopping at the shrine of King Puskin. Uh, yeah, all good fun, really. Um, I'm not going to sort of spoil it for anyone too much because I think if you never played Donwood, there's a lot to experience, but it was good fun and a lot of chuckling had, a lot of fun had. And for me, I, I just felt that it was kind of pretty straightforward. It's nice following the processes of the game. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to playing more.
0: Hey up, Shay. Shandy Andy here. Just wanted to send you a message about our OSC Dolman Wood Friday night session. Absolutely loved it, it was absolutely brilliant.
2: Wow. Well, after a uh, wonderful night of storms, and yesterday's storms, and more storms today, um, I'm kind of a little bit housebound, but it is the half term, and that's great. This morning, I hopped onto the Roleplay Rescue blog, and I've added a new um, post, which is me... I think I entitled it Learning to Play Traveller. Essentially, um, there's been this idea bubbling around my head for a long while now about... The fact that Traveller doesn't tell you really how to play, um, whether it's classic Traveller or whatever edition, all the way through, there's always been this underlying assumption that you know referees and players know how to play role-playing games and know how to run this game. And whilst there are loads of excellent, excellent um, subsystems in Traveller that kind of help, ultimately the problem I've always had, and I think many, many referees have, is like how to put those together and actually run a game. So. I decided that I'm finally going to write that. Um, and I think I'm going to do that as a series of blog posts over the coming months um, because a little sub-project of my own is going to be like learning to play for myself. Um, as you're probably aware by now, the way I function is like by kind of thinking out loud, sharing ideas that way. And then when I've got the theory, I like to put it into practice. And that means I like to actually you know start doing stuff. Um, and when you're preparing a role-playing campaign, of course, as a referee, uh, you, you just begin in private, don't you? You start like, writing stuff up and preparing bits. Um, and what I tend to do, if you're not someone who's come back and listened over many, many months now, um, what I like to do is I like to solo bits as well. I like to try stuff out. And that's exactly what I'm going to start doing. Um, and no, this isn't a distraction from Dolmanwood. It's not a distraction from Thal. It's actually me taking on this SF project as well. And I think I've realised that it's okay for me to have multiple projects spinning. And in fact, it's a mistake to try and do one thing at a time. I think what I need to make sure I do is that every week I'm just doing a little bit of something. So a little bit of prep for Dom Wood each week, a little bit of prep for Thal each week. And I think three is enough, a little bit of sci-fi prep. And that's what I'm going to do. It keeps me interested in multiple things and keeps me moving forward on multiple fronts. And it embraces the nature of, of me as a scanner, as somebody who you know, doesn't think in that linear, one-size-fits-all, one-thing-at-a-time kind of way. I really don't. Um, it actually frustrates me. and means I get nothing done if I do that. So, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So if you're interested, hop over to roleplayrescue.com. That's the blog. Have a little look at the post. Um, and you're probably going to find I'm going to be trying to do weekly posts of something. Um I don't think there'll ever be kind of quite linear sequences and series, but obviously using the tags and using the categories, you can follow various different streams of thought that are going on in my hobby, which perhaps don't quite get captured in detail via a podcast. You know, I don't think really doing a podcast on how to play uh, is terribly easy. I think I can discuss aspects of that on the podcast. And I think for series 6 Mm. Yeah, I'm thinking that far ahead already. Uh, I think going forward, I'm going to have those kinds of episodes, but I think they'll always be referential, uh, pointing you back to the blog, which is kind of the point of having a blog in the first place. So I'm going to stop wittering. I'm going to wrap it up for this week. Game on.